Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to episode four of the What's Eric Eating podcast. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Joining me this week are my co-hosts, Felice Sloan and Shannon Jones from Urban Swank. We all know Urban Swank. It's the popular lifestyle blog that does food and fashion and travel and beauty. You can follow them on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever you want, at Urban Swank. And, of course, the website is urbanswank.com. Ladies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce you one at a time so people can hear your voices. Felice, greetings. Hello, Eric. How are you? That's my podcast voice. Yeah, that's not your real voice. <laughs> Shanna, how are you? What's up, E? I'm good. Great to have you both. Super excited. Mixing things up a little bit this week. But let's just dive right in. Let's just get to the news of the week. Obviously, the last week or so has been incredibly busy. All kinds of people switching jobs. Mm-hmm. Last week, we talked about Joe Cervantes leaving Killens and going to Brennan's. Steve Hogg leaving Pesca and going to Killens. And nothing more surprising than Evan Turner announcing that he had left Helen Greek Food and Wine. But that was only the beginning of the staff changes that we have seen. Let's start with Danny Trace. He was the executive chef at Brennan's ever since it reopened after Hurricane Ike. He has a new job. He's going to be the executive chef for Oso and Cristala and... Polin? Potente. Potente, thank, yes. For Oso and Cristala and Potente, Jim Crane's Italian restaurants that have opened right next to Minute Maid Park. This came as a huge surprise yeah. to me. So what did what do you think? Are you ready to eat Danny Trace's Italian food? You know what? For me, I'm. It's a surprise, but I'm excited because I think he's gonna knock it out of the park. Danny doing Italian food, I'm excited about it. And think about what Creole food really is, right? It's a hodgepodge of literally every cuisine, and Italian food is a part of that. So his his grandmother's Italian, so he should he should rock at this. Yeah, I think one of the things he's going to do that'll be really interesting is bringing more of a Gulf Coast influence, especially to Patente, which is kind of a fine dining. Mm-hmm. I mean, Upscale. I've been thinking of it as Jim Crane's DeMarco. Yeah. Okay. That's a good, yes, that's good. a good, that's a good. Um, and so comparison. if you told me that under Danny Trace, Patente will be some combination of DeMarco and Brennan's with a respect for local ingredients that's consistent with cultivare. Now, that's a restaurant I want to eat it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's you know what? That's a great advertisement. Right. You know, they may need to hire you, Eric, because that's exactly what you get when you get a Danny, right? right? Like, he's bringing all of that. And, frankly, I think they need it. I mean, I'm just going, the elephant in the room, they need a Danny. Okay? <laughs> they need Danny. And I think for him, he didn't talk to me, but... <laughs> 
wherever he left. I think that was that that was probably very appealing where he's like, you know, I get to kind of do my own thing. I get to kind of create something and make it great. Exactly. Right. And the thing with Jim Crane is, as we've seen with the Astros, he takes a long view. Right. The team was really bad. Now they're the best team in baseball. If Patente maybe struggled a little bit out of the gate or got overshadowed by a lot of the other restaurants that opened right before the Super Bowl, hiring Danny is a huge way to make a big splash mm-hmm. and to say, for Jim Crane to say, look, I'm committed to this project. I yeah. want it to be excellent and I'm willing to put my money where my intentions are. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Put your yeah. money, put your money where your mouth yeah. is. And Danny is is definitely gonna be that for him. But what about the more like casual Italian? I mean, how do we think that's gonna fare? Because we know Potente again, Brennan's was upscale. Danny's gonna do his thing there with Italian, probably gonna be a no brainer. What about the sister restaurant? Well, think about it. We think about it. We've had Danny's kind of casual at we've had his casual. I mean, he can kill a fried chicken. So you can't can get more kill casual a fried chicken than fried chicken. <laughs> so if he can do bougie Italian, I mean, well, not bougie, but we on just call it bougie. If he can do bougie Italian, Italian, he definitely can do casual Italian. Okay. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about Oso and Cristallo, which is the more casual restaurant, is, you know, you have Chef de Cuisine, Micah, right out there. Mm-hmm. He's He's been in place since the restaurant's opened. I think the, the combination of Danny and Micah together is really interesting. And let's not underestimate the pastry chef, David Berg, who came to that restaurant from, among other places, Tony's. They're doing breakfast pastries. He's, his muffins, if you, if you I know this sounds stupid, but if you haven't been to Oster and Cristala for breakfast, those muffins are some of the best in the city right now. He has a whole pastry and bread program in mind for that, and I think that's going to that's gonna help that restaurant stand out. And, of course, during Astros games, during now that the season is good and people are going, oh, yeah. school's almost out, mm-hmm. it's a great option for a, a relatively inexpensive dinner before you go into the stadium. That's true. Yeah, I agree. That's true. Very approachable in many ways. I need to go get one of those muffins, huh? We should, we should yeah. go there after it's this. It's time to go. Yeah, it's time for me. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to eat there, and I've I've had some conversations with the restaurant about, well, when is the new menu rolling out, and when can I get in there? Because right. I'm excited about it. So is it? do you think it's changing a lot, or do you think it's just going to be like his spin? And then, because I know he's going to be doing like Italian with like a nod to Houston. So I'm interested to see what that nod to Houston is going to be. I bet he's going to change the whole thing. I think Patente is going to change pretty dramatically. <laughs> I do too. I think it needs to. I think Oso and Cristalo was a little bit more of a fully formed concept under Micah yeah. and the former executive chef, Michael Parker, who, who nothing bad has happened to Michael, by the way. He's just... He's going to run Jim Crane's Golf Resort. That's what he's been doing for years. Which he's right. He's been doing that. So. And he yep. was traveling back and forth from Florida to Houston, which is always complicated. So this lets Michael focus on his strengths and allows Danny a new platform to really show the city what he can do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. We're definitely excited. We will be in the house, Danny. All Bring right. on that new menu. <laughs> and then, hey, and then you can, you know, just for just for fun, throw the fried chicken on there. You know, because you you do that. It's not Italian, but but we're open. You're right. saying you're he open. Can, yeah, I mean, yeah, he can put an Italian spin on it. I'm open to that. It's a Houston nod. <laughs> All right, so let's move on. This one, if this is good news for Danny Trace and good news for Jim Crane, then this next news item is is a little more bittersweet for me. Graham Laborde has announced that he is resigning his position as the culinary director of Bernadine's and Hunky Dory to take an operational role with Ronnie Killen kind of supervising Killen's Steakhouse and Killen's SDQ, 
working with Steve Haug at Killen Steakhouse, working with Teddy Lopez at Killen's SDQ. And as Ronnie said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, he's trying to open a barbecue joint in Austin. He needs someone in Houston who can kind of be his eyes, ears, palate, work ethic. Graham is definitely qualified to be that person. Mm -hmm. But this makes me a little bit sad. Bernadine's is a was really a restaurant, a concept that Graham developed with Treadsac. Mm -hmm. They named the restaurant after his grandmother. And I don't I the Treadsac has not yet said what this means for Bernadine's, what Graham's departure means for Bernadine's, but it can't be good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, let's yeah, let's start with what do you think Graham's leaving Treadsack means for Hunky Dory and Bernadine's? I I kind of it's not good. Like you said it's not good. It's, yeah. It is kind of like the I don't want to say beginning of the end. No, I think the beginning no. of the end was when foreign correspondence closed <laughs> right. in December. So yeah. it's just kind of a I saw it coming. I think you and I talked about this, Eric. I kind of saw it coming. I didn't want to see it coming because I like, I mean, Bernadine's is amazing. And I just don't, can they recover? I mean, look at what's been happening for the last two weeks. Sure, something crazy could happen next week, but I just don't think this is good. This is not good for them. I, I agree with you, Felice. I think that they've had too many hits. It's almost like they've been having like hits like every three months. This is almost like right on schedule. Unfortunately, I don't think that they're going to recover from it. I think they've lost some really high profile, high talented chefs at each now their third one. I, it's just it doesn't look good. And I think from the public eye it's probably not positive either. So Yeah, and just to clarify, I've seen different reports about this. I talked to Graham Monday when this was announced. He hasn't left yet. He's yeah. going to be yeah. at Bernadine's through the end of the month. So if you like sure. that restaurant, yeah, yeah. now is the time to go. Like, now is the time to go get one last I-10 Tower or Dr. Pepper Duck or that fried catfish. Or mm-hmm. that, yeah. You know, I just, it just makes me sad because I, I had a lot of really good meals there. Yeah. I know you I, did I agree too. With you. Yeah, I agree. But but on the flip side, mm-hmm. uh, well, like you said, it's bittersweet. I I see some good things in his future for Graham. Like yeah, I'm excited for, for Graham. But um, definitely, we'll be going in the next two weeks to get some of my favorites off that menu. Yeah. yeah so if you're Ronnie Killen and you just hired Graham Laborde, <laughs> how tempting is it to try to find a, a restaurant space and open something with Graham? Uh, very um, tempting asap he his 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 background i mean think about why ronnie brought him on board right fine dining gulf coast seafood expert like he's already looking right eric for not only the bar a second barbecue spot in houston but also a second steakhouse and he's mentioned on several occasions as your conversation with him via culture map and on your podcast about you know bringing Graham in to have this 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 seafood expertise so i'm like getting really excited thinking that are we getting like some you know, enhanced steakhouse, or are we getting maybe a seafood restaurant? Don't know, but very exciting. But Eric, here's the thing. You know, we were talking when we were um, at um, SCQ recently, right? And I think with a Graham, that's what they can do. Like Graham and Teddy with those specials, because right now, if you take away the specials, it's kind of the steakhouse. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the steakhouse. So I think Graham can definitely because where they shine is those specials, the the daily specials. Graham can take that, add a couple of more um, seafood type things to the menu and play with that and just take it to the next level and then have more than a month wait. Now we're going to have a three month wait to get in. But, hey, we'll take it. 
Yep. Yeah. We're at an interesting moment. I mean, just driving around recently, you know, the Nolore space on Montrose is open. The space that used to be 1111 on West Gray is open. Mockingbird Bistro kind of buried in a neighborhood, but no one has taken that space yet. So there are some interesting restaurant properties that are out there. I'm sure Ronnie's kicking the tires on all of them, but this notion that, that Graham could move from this operational role into the executive chef of his own concept that blends Killen's Steakhouse, and, and certainly he has a lot that he can learn from Ronnie about not just not just how to cook a steak, but but running a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Right. But taking one of those spaces and putting them in there, I mean, that would be the hottest restaurant in Houston on the day it opens. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And and Ronnie's very smart and very strategic. So, you know, he he's very coy. So he's, he's probably definitely already thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, he's thought he's about not gonna it. put all his cards on the table. So Ronnie, I'm we pretty know sure. Ronnie, we know what you got cooking, okay? We know what you got cooking. All right, so before we talk about restaurants that don't exist yet, or or having already <laughs> talked about restaurants that don't even exist yet, let's talk about a couple that are that one that closed and one that is about to close. Shade, the height staple on 19th Street, closed on Mother's Day. It's going to reopen next month. Is a new concept called Alice Blue. This is another one of those that breaks my heart. I got to tell you that the shade that that breaks my heart, Eric. Okay, okay, <laughs> because I I have never gotten into shade. There's a lot of southern residents. There's a lot of places to get shrimp and grits in this town. Yeah, now. Yeah. What about shade are you going to miss? I just like the ambience of it. Um, it's one of my, it used to be one of my little spots that I would go to. You, you, great service. It was the experience, the food, like you're saying, the shrimp and grits. Yeah. Yes. Very neighborhood, right? Right. But it just, you feel like you're a part of the family. Um, you could actually get drinks there. <laughs> one of the few places that you could actually get drinks. Um, right there in the Heights. And the food was very consistent for the most part. Um, so I'm just going to miss that. Not saying that they can't recreate it, but they're changing the space, right? They're they're changing the, um, the, the food concept. They're changing the way it looks. So, you know, I'm excited. I'm here for growth, but I'm just a little sad. Well, I'll say, Claire, I'm talking to you directly. Whatever you do, I know you guys are going to kind of this bistro style menu, loving it with European flair. Love that. But please, Felice and I have been enjoying your quiche for many, many, many years. And I'm hoping that that stays. So not only am I upset that, you know, we're losing shade, but literally they had some of the best quiche in the city, hands down. Well, and I think that's what's so interesting about this new restaurant that's going to replace it. It's called Alice Blue. We're going to remodel. I think the interesting thing for me is that Claire Smith, who's the chef owner at Shade, is going to work with some of these young rising star types and really give them an opportunity to shine, right? right. Kent Domus is going to come over. He's he's left Downhouse. He had been working with Graham at, at Bernadine's and Hunky Dory. So he's coming over to Shade. And then on the front of the house, or he's working with um, he's working with Jason Vaughn, who's a chef who is from Houston, but has been cooking in Chicago. And at the front of the house, Sean Jensen left public services. He's going to be consulting on the menu. Sean and Jason are opening a restaurant in Edo later this year called Nancy's Hustle. So all these, all these people are coming together for this project and, and they'll be working with this woman who was really a pioneer in the Heights. Like one of the very, one of the very first restaurants to make the Heights uh, an interesting restaurant destination 
I'm excited about that. I want to yeah. see what that's going to be like. So you're not. So you're excited. So you're more excited about the new than sad. Well, you you just said you never went to the old. So you yeah, can't. I never shade never. Yeah, you're a little biased. Shade never meant much to me. Well, maybe we're biased. Yeah, <laughs> we're biased towards the old. So I've been I've been trying to like find out more about what the proposed menu is going to be. Have you gotten any more insight, Eric, into what? Kind of bistro with an no. European <laughs> flair. No, means. I have asked. I asked, like, what does this mean? Because the description is a modern bistro fair and a lively, energetic bar. The restaurant will feature contemporary bistro cuisine with a nod to classical European cooking techniques. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Me, that's I'm trying to figure gobbledygook. That's what said. Blah blah blah. Nice, pretty words. And what I does said, that mean? I, I said, what does that mean? And they said, we're not ready to tell you yet. <laughs> I'm like, okay, when they figure that out, I kind of want to know because I was I was struggling trying to figure out what that meant. I don't know. I mean, I have no clue. Definitely looking we'll forward to, to figuring out see. what the menu is going to look like. And then the other the other restaurant that has announced a closing date, Sullivan Steakhouse. This is not a huge surprise. It's not a shocker at all. Their shocker. Lease is, their lease has not been renewed because that whole property is going to get absorbed into River Oaks District here yeah. in, the, in the next couple of years. Do you have a favorite Sullivan's memory? I do. I remember back in the day when Sullivan's was the spot, right? Like yep. it was um, the place to be seen and, and go on Friday nights, go there, listen to great music, have a great cocktail. I remember that. And, I, and oh, it was yeah. the spot to go to. So it hasn't been that in a long time, so I won't miss that. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sad to see them go because it's a staple, but. It's not a surprise. Yeah, I've had a many a Thursday nights listening to live music in that little back room and, you know, stopping at the bar on your way in, grabbing some cocktails, you know, people watching and then heading back to that back room and listening to live music and jamming on the dance floor all night. I mean, it was definitely like the spot. It was like a little like club inside of a restaurant. So, yeah, when I was single back in the day, that was like my Thursday night pickup for real. <laughs> gonna miss oh, definitely gonna up. miss that. She said her Thursday, Thursday night, night pick pickup, up. literally, huh? Well, you know, I was okay. dating. Was, I was dating. You know what I'm saying? It was definitely, it was definitely the spot. But yeah, I mean, definitely gonna miss that. But you know what's 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 maybe playing into the fact that they're closing is that I never visited Sullivan's to go and enjoy a steak. It was only because of the bar and the live music. So maybe that was the the, the you know the truth in the. What about you, E? Memory. You know, I, I used to know one of the guys who played in one of the bands. So on a, on a Saturday night, you know, long gone past relationship, you know, we would get dressed up. We would go there. We wouldn't eat. Or, or maybe we'd get drinks in a souffle or a, a bottle of champagne in a souffle. That was kind of the move. Go late, dig in the band, dance maybe a little bit, especially after some champagne. But, yeah, it was always more of a, a nightclub or nightlife right. experience for yeah. me. Never really that much. Right. And restaurant. so, see, going theme. No one ever, ate. none of us were talking about memories. <laughs> they don't include eating. Yeah, they're and all drinking. You gotta eat at a restaurant. So you're listening to What's Eric Eating? All right. Well, let's let's move on. Let's talk about a couple of restaurant visits. I want to start with one fifth. Uh, Allison Cook just gave it three stars in the Chronicle. We went there last week to celebrate my birthday. Mm-hmm. Yep, in a big in a big, in a big way. In a way. big way, we ordered one of the baller boards, which we is a three and a half long wooden plank that comes with a chef's choice of steaks and sides. Let me just ask you: Do you feel like you got your money's worth? <laughs> definitely, yes. definitely. I, I feel like yes. we probably could have invited a couple more people, right? Um, so you need a couple more friends, Eric. But 
Um, do I feel like it's worth the money? For sure. It was definitely worth the money. I, I was still we have food left right over next week. Yeah, it was great. Right, but I mean, do you feel like the the value the value the value was there? Yes, yeah. I yes. definitely feel. I mean, we had premium steaks. We had lamb, you know, lamb neck. We did. I mean, caviar. we had caviar. We had crab. We had a few types of maybe we had a um, New York strip, and I think we had a wagyu. We definitely had a ribeye. We definitely had a wagyu mm, yeah. strip loin. Mm-hmm. I mean. Yeah, value-wise, I mean, yeah, that was an epic feast that was worth every single dollar we spent. It was definitely an experience, and it plays right into what One-Fifth wanted to be with the One-Fifth Steakhouse. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really decadent experience, and obviously it's... And the thing is that it's going away at the very end of July. Do you feel like you've kind of had it, and you're good, and you're ready for the next thing, or, or will you go back one more time? I may would go back one yeah. more time for a couple of items that stood out, right? Like so, but if I didn't get a chance to get those, what I would want on at the next restaurant is something similar to that experience. So for me, what they're gonna have to do with each one of the restaurants because they have something um, like a baller board, each restaurant's gonna have to have a baller board type thing. Yeah, I think. Yeah, so, that was yeah. Yeah, I mean, since it's. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Since it's so driven by that kind of big group over the top entree, I was sort of teasing Chris Shepard when we were there about, you know, you need to do giant paella pans. Right. And he sort of looked at me and was like, yeah, I just ordered a bunch of cast iron. There you go. So <laughs> certainly the Mediterranean theme of one fifth romance languages lends itself to big pans of paella. Yep. You know, beef bourguignon, big French braised dishes. I mean, right. giant bowls of Italian pasta or stewed chicken. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different kind directions of that right. they can go with it. Right. But that goes back to what Felice was saying. Even though we may miss, oh, man, I would love to have that, you know, that steak again. What we are looking forward to are those big, larger-than-life dishes that we know are are very truth of how Chris Shepard rolls and underbelly and others. So we are looking forward to that continued experience, and we know he's going to bring it. So romantic languages, here we come. All right, and then the other restaurant I want to talk about this week is FM Kitchen and Bar. Now, I talked about this in an article last week on Culture Map. This is a restaurant that's taken a long time to develop and has been a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. It started off as a concept called Brand. Yep. Then it was FM oh, 903. Yep. Then it was FM Burger. Burger, right. And now it's FM Kitchen and Bar, which from so this is the former Trinity chef Ryan Hildebrand, a comfort food restaurant, a southern restaurant. Y'all went there last week for the media preview. What are your first impressions of FM Kitchen? Um, I think it's very good. I was actually um, surprised at some of the non-kind of traditional like Texas Row House style food that he has. So chicken steak, phenomenal. Fried shrimp, phenomenal. So I'm excited for him, but I, I know I don't know if it's because Trinity closed and it just kind of happened in parallel. I just want to make sure if he's doing that kind of stuff that it's not taking it too far because ultimately when you look at what FM Kitchen and Bar is, it's kind of that family-friendly, you know, yard games, live music. The food kind of still has to align with that without going too overboard. But I think what he's what he offered during kind of the friends and family and the media dinner was in line with that. I just hope he kind of stays in that little wheelhouse and doesn't, it doesn't go too far, if that makes sense. I think what I – so I, I stuck in there for lunch – uh, the day that we're taping this, we had a chicken fried steak, we had fried shrimp, we had ribs, we had the FM burger, which is basically like a, a 
it's kind of snack size, shake mm-hmm. sack style, mm-hmm. single Smash, patty yeah. cheeseburger. I mean, I think Ryan's really onto something with this. And I think, I think maybe one of the problems with Trinity was that sometimes the food was so elevated that it was hard for people to sort of understand the intention behind it. I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no problem with that at FM Kitchen. Right. I mean, this is, this is food that we all know about. Fried shrimp, burgers, milkshakes, tater tots. This is this is the kind of food that people just you can eat a couple right. times a week. Even. And people like it because yeah, it's, it's food good. that makes them feel good, right? Like they're not intimidated by it. They just want it to be executed well. And we know Ryan does that. Yeah, he's going to. I mean, it's definitely good. It's definitely a place that a lot of people will be hanging out. I mean, patio live music in Washington Corridor. Ideal. Perfect. But, you know, I know he's still thinking about continuing to add stuff and expand the menu. I just kind of just want him to kind of stay in that wheelhouse and everything that he has right now is straight up what he wants it to be. And it, you know, going from FM Burger now to FM Kitchen and Bar is perfect for him, especially with the timing of Trinity. Well, and it's going to be open till midnight. Gives you a little bit of a, a burger, a comfort food destination, mm-hmm. especially when you're hanging out on Washington Avenue on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, I, I could see getting out of a getting out of, you know, going going for some drinks at Julep and then rolling down Washington mm-hmm. in an Uber because I'm respectful like that. I'm a law-abiding citizen. And getting a burger or, you know, some tater tots or a piece of fried chicken before I go home. Right. It's smart. The hours, like you said, it's yeah. very smart. It aligns with where they're located and what they're doing with the menu. And that Frito pie, Eric, did you have that? I have not tried the Frito pie. Wowzers. You know, the other thing I just want to say is all the bottles of wine are 25 bucks. Which I, I just think that. is such a deal. That's great. That's no. That's actually really good. Did you have wine when you went, Shannon? Um, no, just pure cocktails. Yeah, okay. just pure. And Did they you were have good. a favorite cocktail? Um, that watermelon. I think it was a watermelon julep. I think that was it. Yeah, I had a couple of those. Maybe don't really. <laughs> Do remember. you remember? Um, it was good. And it had watermelon. <laughs> and the bar program rocks. So check it out. They are a grand opening on nineteenth. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for our first two segments. So I'm just going to let you all in a little bit behind the curtain. We're going to come back with Jonathan Horowitz, the CEO of Legacy Restaurants and the president of the Houston Restaurant Association. Shanna and Felice were not there for that interview, but Chris Frankel, last week's co-host, was. So that's what you're going to hear. We taped it a week ago, but I think it's a great conversation. We're going to talk about how you take brands like Ninfas on Navigation and Antones and keep them relevant in 2017. And then Jonathan's gonna Jonathan and Chris get into it a little bit about some of the big picture issues facing restaurants in the face of all this competition, all these new arrivals. How do you stay engaged? And what are the conditions for when you look to expand? So stick around for that. Again, thank you to Shannon Felice for participating in the first half of the show. You can follow them on every different social media platform at Urban Swank. And of course, we all read urbanswank.com. It's updated, what, like three times a week? Yep. Sometimes more. Depends on how we feel. <laughs> Shannon, Shannon Felice, thanks so much. Thanks, I'll be Eric. right back with Jonathan Horowitz. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? I'm joined today by Jonathan Horowitz. Jonathan is the CEO of Legacy Restaurants. That's the company that owns two of Houston's most iconic restaurant brands, Ninfa's, uh, the real one, the one you want to go to on navigation, and Anton's Po' Boy's. Uh, before he did that, he was the uh, chief marketing officer for Lasco Enterprises. It's the company that operates Max's Wine Dive, the Tasting Room, and a few other restaurants around. Jonathan, welcome to What's Eric Eating. How Thank are you? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So let's start with 
your current position is the CEO of Legacy Restaurants. Yes. I had lunch at Ninfa's a couple of Saturdays ago. At 2 o'clock, there was a two-hour wait. <laughs> or no, there was a 30-minute wait for a party of two. Yeah, that's the way we like it. I, I mean, I think there are... I, it's so difficult. The, the restaurant environment in the city is so competitive. It's so difficult even for a restaurant that's as popular as Ninfa's to stay that way. What are you doing to kind of make sure you don't lose your edge? Well... You know, frankly, when I took this position, it's been about a year and a half now or so. And um, the biggest thing that I've been trying to accomplish over the past year and a half is not to screw up a good thing. And so we, uh, we, we have made a lot of physical changes and improvements to the restaurant. Um, we have made some subtle changes to the operations and to the menu. Uh, but really... That location is just such an icon, and you know it's 44 years old. And what what we're really trying to accomplish now is to set it up for the next 44 years, and to really make sure that it stays competitive. Um, it maintains not only the history and the feeling and the great service and the great food, but be ready to evolve a bit with the times. Because as you know, after a while, you, you've got to make some shifts and some changes to stay relevant and stay competitive. Right. And, and uh, you have a real talent in the kitchen in Alex Padilla, who always does these super cool specials that look really interesting. And then I just order beef fajitas and a margarita. Well, you're not alone. I mean, you're not alone in that regard. I mean, you cannot go wrong with, you know, getting a plate of fajitas and, and a ninfarita and I mean there is absolutely nothing wrong with that however for those who are looking for something different maybe they've already had you know fajitas twice this week uh, there are other options I mean there as you said Alex is a great talent he is very you know he's got formal training he can make anything um, in fact you know his Italian stuff is fantastic <laughs> he actually won the the meatball throwdown a few weeks ago that's right for for antones um that you know that was him just kind of throwing out his italian side um but for, you know if you want uh fantastic seafood or or a whole fish out of the wood-burning oven or octopus tacos or you know just something different he creates some really really excellent dishes and we are very fortunate that you know he's there and, and can provide that that not only that level of, of cooking and preparation, but just the variety. And then if so, so if Ninfa's is rocking and rolling, literally maybe better than it's ever been. I, my perception is that Antones isn't in quite the same place that you're, that it, it needs a little more attention. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. Very different environment for that type you know, of food right and, now. And, and, and there's a lot of competition. I mean, nationally, you know, Subway, Jimmy John's. I mean, you're in that same kind of space. What are you doing at Antone's to kind of bring that up to a level where it's worthy of its legacy? Yeah, so it's it's a very, very different environment. It's a whole different scenario with with that type of concept. We are firmly ensconced in that fast casual um, world, which is completely different from the original Ninfas. And that segment of the industry, that fast casual, has really 
seen some hard times in the past 18 to 24 months, and we're seeing it nationally, not only locally. Um, so we have made some menu adjustments, and, and really even before then. The biggest thing is providing a really, really good service experience. In fast casual, it's all about, and, and literally I came from a meeting yesterday when we were talking about this with uh, an outside group that did some uh, research for us. People care about convenience, getting in and out quickly, and having a good service experience. It was very interesting to find out through these big surveys that we did that the menu items were third, fourth on the list of things that are really important to them. So we're learning these things as we're going forward. Right, because, uh, I mean, not to be flip about it, but a turkey sandwich is kind of a turkey sandwich. That's true. And, and you know what? We're, we're not necessarily trying to create the world's greatest turkey sandwich. We want people to understand that it's high quality, really good food, you know, made fresh, et cetera, et cetera. But still, people seem to be more concerned about, can I get back to my desk in 45 minutes? And that's, that's a big consideration when they're making their choices. As you alluded to, there are so many options out there right now. It's so competitive. And we're seeing difficulties across the segment of the industry. I just read an article yesterday about uh, Potbelly. You know, their, their shares were tumbling because of, you know, low year-over-year comps. Um, we're seeing that a lot in the industry, particularly in fast casual. And then about a year ago, last summer, you announced that you were looking for new locations for Ninfas. Is there? Do we have an update on that? How's that? How's that process going? I can probably repeat verbatim exactly what I said a year ago. We are looking really, really hard. So we we, we want we we've got a couple Antones, you know, locations that are coming online. That we just opened a kiosk. Uh, in the tunnels downtown last week. So that's moving forward, and, and that's a little bit easier. We're looking for smaller, you know, 2,500 square right. you foot have a, You have a full-service Antones coming to the Katy area. Yeah, Barker Cypress and I-10, yep. And then also we're working on a lease for one downtown as well, um, along with the kiosk that we just opened. So when you're working in that environment, 2,000, 2,500 square feet, there's there's a lot more options. When you, when you think about the next original Ninfas, it's got to be perfect. I mean, it's got to be absolutely just right. We need a larger space, you know, five, six, maybe even 7,000 square feet. It's got to be in the right area. It's got to have the right traffic and demographics. So I say all that to say we're being very choosy. We're really, really trying to make sure we find the right spot. We thought we had one um, at the end of this past year. Uh, It was a second generation space that we really, we had almost gotten and we didn't. And so now we're kind of looking at another one that's in the same general vicinity. I will say generally in the vicinity we're standing right now. And um, we're, hoping, <laughs> we're hopeful that we might uh, be able to get that one. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, there's, there's a recently closed Tex-Mex restaurant in Uptown Park that might be, uh, well, might be a possibility for you. You know, there's, there's probably a story there somewhere, which I'm sure somebody's going to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like that but, but, sounds like a good reason to move on. Right. Well, actually, I mean that's that's not that's not the one that I think we're going to get, but we'll see. Okay. Well, to be to be <laughs> determined on the future of Ninfas. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of people, uh, not just inside the loop, but but in Sugarland and in Katy and in the Woodlands, and in Cyprus and in Clear Lake, all of whom are uh, currently probably 
like Papacito's customers that, that could probably be flipped if they had the right offer. Yeah, and we, you know, we want to give people that opportunity, but like I said, we want to do it right. I mean, there's 44 years of history there that we have to honor, and we really need to make sure we do it properly. So we're not, we're not rushing to go find just any spot. And when we do it, we're really going to do it right. So hopefully soon. I mean, I'd love to be able to come back at some point and announce that we've found the spot. We look forward to that. Um, but I do want to move on. Your, your other role, because you're not busy enough, you are the president of the Houston Restaurant Association. Correct. And you sit on the board of the Texas Restaurant Association. That is correct. And in that capacity, you wrote an article for the Houston Business Journal recently about the current status of Houston's restaurant industry and what established restaurants can do in the face of all this new competition that came in ahead of the Super Bowl. And so I, I kind of want to start big picture. Sure. What is your sense of the current state of the industry? Are the, are the people, the members of the association, nervous about the future? Are they optimistic? You know, you, you use the term restaurant bubble. What are, what are sort of the signs of that that you're seeing and, and hearing from your members? So that's a, that's a big, broad kind of topic for discussion. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to compartmentalize as much as I can because we, we've seen a lot of things nationally. You know, we're seeing a lot of downward pressure on the industry in general. Um, and, and, you know, if you read Nation's Restaurant News or, or other publications, you'll see that there's been a lot of talk about a restaurant bubble, um, some of the difficulties that, that we're finding, you know, with costs. You think about food costs and labor costs and insurance coverage and all of these things that, that create difficulties for the restaurant industry. We're seeing that a lot nationally it's it's hitting us to some extent locally as well um we saw and have seen over the past few years a significant increase in the in the level and the pace of growth in the restaurant industry here in Houston in the in the Houston area we're you know we're more than 12,000 restaurants now in the greater Houston area which is extraordinary if you think about just the mass and the options and i think while it's a really positive sign that so many people want to come here, live here, work here, open restaurants, open businesses. I think what we're seeing now is to some extent a little bit of reversion where there's been some overbuilding. I think we're pretty saturated at this point. Um, things haven't really slowed down in terms of the, the building and the growth. And so I think as uh, there's been a lot of doom and gloom and a lot of things written about a bubble, I think we're going to see a bit of a course correction this year. And, and we're seeing it already to some extent yeah, locally. I mean, we have seen some pretty significant closings over the last six months or so. Longtime restaurants last, you know, last summer, summer of 2016, Mark's American Cuisine, Sparrow, you know, at the end of this, at the end of this year, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, you know, Mockingbird Bistro, Trinity, you know, Anejo from the Lasco sure. Group. I mean, there's a lot of different, to say to say nothing of what's going on with uh, Treadsack. Sure. But at the same time, you're looking for new locations. A lot of people The Ellis are. is looking right. for new locations. All these out-of-town restaurant society, companies. Society, you know, Aaron, right. he's growing. Uh, Paul Miller at Great Plate. I mean, a, lo a lot of local folks are seeing the opportunity that is being presented with, with some of the other closures. I think 
I think you're going to see a continued shift um, to where local operators, owners and operators and independents will have some opportunities that they're going to try to take advantage of. Um, but I, I think as we continue to be a little bit uncertain in the political climate and the you know economic climate, um, I, I think you're going to see some more changes and, and some more shifts uh, and closures, for, yeah. uh, unfortunately. I mean, do you think that in the next, say, year or so, that the, the better opportunities are going to be outside the loop or maybe outs- even outside the beltway? I think they're always going to be there, honestly, because there is so much room out there. There's so much space. There's so much development going on out there. Um, I don't think that's ever going to ever going to go away. Um, when you look at what's happening down around Grand Parkway, or you look up um, even north of the Woodlands, you know, uh, and on the northwest side, there's a lot of room out there that still needs to be filled in. Unfortunately, I think what you're going to see is a lot of the chain type of places going in and not so much chef driven, um, unfortunately. You know, I think inside the loop um, and more, more locally in town, you're going to see more opportunities for independence and chef driven places to kind of come in uh, and, and as, as other places move out. And where do these upscale national brands fit in? Certainly, Steak 48 is doing very well at River Oaks District. Nobu is coming. John Besh is coming. Um, a New Orleans steakhouse named Doris Metropolitan took the Trinity spot. W- what influence do they have on what the independents are doing? And, and what's your sense of how they're being received? <laughs> Most are received pretty well. Um, although, you know, you look at something like what Bradley Ogden experienced, you know, that did not go well and that didn't go well very quickly. Um, so, so, you know, you never know for sure, but a lot of these places you, you think about, uh, John Besh coming in there, you know, he's got a great, um, you know, reputation he's not far away, obviously from, from New Orleans. And I think, I think most will do well. I think one of the things that we've seen, which is an unfortunate consequence of all of these great, you know, larger operators coming in from other parts of the country is it's, it's really driving rents up. Um, they look at Houston and say, oh, it's, it's only 50 bucks a foot. So that's great. It, it beats the heck out of what we're paying in New York and California and these other places. And that has really increased the pressure locally on independent operators to try to find locations that are within their price range. We are have, I'm having a hard time right now finding good spots for Antone's just because of the rent structure and and our business is such that we can't pay 50 bucks a foot. You just can't do it. Chris Frankel, I, I want to bring you in on this. You're, you're someone who's operated your own concept in Midtown. You had spare key. Mm-hmm. Uh, I sort of assume that you aspire to operate your own place in the future. Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts about what are you, what are you seeing? Are you looking at spaces? What are you, what are you finding out there in the market right now? It's still like, I think there's there's a little bit they've kind of plateaued a little bit, which is a good thing. Like unless you're looking at like a city center type development, the rents are kind are coming a little bit down, not to where they used to be. I'm thinking like hopefully, I think a more reasonable price for like rent in the early Houston is in the twenties or low high like in the twenties somewhere per square foot. Um, that's a matter of well, actually it's interesting because you see like the rents in the up and coming areas like the north side and. East and the East End are going are skyrocketing to like 
match the rents and the rest of the loop. But the other places like Rice Village, Gallery are kind of stabilizing, I think. Is the is the concern about an appropriate price to pay for rent driven by what you think customers are willing to pay for food items, cocktails, that sort of thing? Yeah, it it is for me. I mean, again, I use I use Antone's as an example because, you know, our, our average ticket is maybe ten eleven dollars, mm-hmm. um, and it's in that fast casual space. I mean, you think about how many sandwiches you have to sell in order to support a, you know, fifty dollar a foot rent. I mean, we just we can't sell that many. It just doesn't work. You know, um, we we try. I mean, we we shoot for that eight percent you know occupancy cost, which is kind of that magic number. Um, but you know, even for two thousand twenty five hundred square feet, you just can't do that. I can't sell that many sandwiches um, to to support a fifty dollar a foot rent. And it, it it literally prices me out of a lot of places that I want to be, and 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 if I tried to, you know, raise the prices to match that, uh, the the market will vote with their feet, and you know they're out of there. I mean they, they won't they won't do it. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't see us paying twelve or fifteen dollars for an Anton's Po Boy. I certainly don't see us paying fifteen or eighteen dollars for cocktails. Mm-hmm. Although there are restaurants that are getting those prices. But I think there's a, a a service and an experience aspect that that maybe justifies some of that. Yeah, it doesn't come necessarily fast casual. Yeah, right. But yeah, it's definitely because I think any restaurant that opens right now in Houston has to be high volume and high price. Like they both have to be just to make the numbers that they need to. And that's you know, it's Houston's an interesting city because it's it's a very mobile population, very car centric. It's not like in New York, you know, you're gonna get foot traffic. You know, you're gonna be in the middle of a neighborhood. You know. What kind of what kind of crowd you're going to get? Like what kind of numbers you can expect to get in that in that space? Houston can be very random, and it's a good thing because you can go somewhere nowhere and make it a neighborhood. But you can also get a great location and just not just not have it work. So, Jonathan, what what is the immediate future for some of these restaurants? I mean, what where where are the opportunities coming? So, you know, like I said, kind of. Locally, inside the loop, I think you will continue to see some independent operators, chef-driven concepts that will be opportunistic, um, and they will come into the market here locally. I think for existing places, and, and this is kind of going back to what you were alluding to in that article, you know, there's an opportunity for existing concepts and brands to sort of shore up their positions a little bit. And that really, I mean, it starts with the service experience. And I mean, Chris knows all about the service experience and providing, you know, uh, great food, great drinks, great service, which leads to repeat business loyalty um, and hopefully, you know, higher traffic leading to, to higher revenue. Um, also, restaurants have been really trying over the past couple of years and have to continue to work on reducing their costs and their expenses and their their labor model, the food costs. They got to work with all their vendors, you know, figure out what they can do to reduce that operating cost because otherwise, if they're not doing enough revenue, the numbers just don't work. Um, and the last thing, you know, really is and it's something that I've really you know, been a big proponent of over the years is just getting involved, getting out there, um, getting involved in community events, doing charity things, doing, you know, whatever it might be, getting involved in the community that also entails, you know, being active on social media, et cetera, et cetera, and letting people know what you're doing. Um, you know, we're, we're about to, you know, kick off a, a much 
broader and larger marketing and advertising campaign for Antones because we have improved the menu, we have improved things, and we want people to know about it instead of just relying on them to stumble upon us. Yeah, and I mean, I know there have been many times I'll be thumbing through Instagram right about dinner time, and I'll see something, and I, you know that becomes the choice for the night, or you know send that send that link out on a text message to a couple of friends. It's like that's a good deal. That looks delicious. Let's go eat that. It works. So it, it definitely works, or at least it works on me. It works on me too. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had that experience, yeah, a lot. Certainly, certainly, the service experience in the dining room is so important. What are you What are you telling people? What are What are the tips that restaurants need to be mindful of? to maintain their existing customers so that maybe they, they don't go try the new place. Maybe they just go back to their old favorite. So, you know, it really comes down to listening to what the customers are telling you. Uh, you know, nowadays with social media, it, it, it's gotten so much easier. Yeah. And, and Chris knows this because he's so active. But all you have to do is listen. I mean, and the, and the marketplace, the customers will tell you what they want or what they don't want, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. And... I think folks who take that to heart, tailor their structures, tailor the business model to really improve the customer experience based on what the customers tell them they want or don't want, they'll end up being successful in the long run because it drives traffic, it drives loyalty. Mm-hmm. And then I, I did want to ask you about this issue of cost because it, you know diners, we, we all say we want local we want farm to table we want to know where our ingredients come from is that at odds is that rhetoric at odds with what people are telling with what people how people are voting with their dollars or do you have to find a way to sort of include those higher cost ingredients but maybe at a at a price point that's harder to swallow it it depends a bit on your concept um because if if you go to a truly chef driven type place you know um, go to a, a Pax Americana, for example. I just popped into my head. So, you know, go there. You, you expect that and, you're, and you know you're going to pay for it, right? And you're perfectly willing to pay for it because that's why you're there. Now, if a Jimmy John's, for example, or something like that, decides to put in Iberico ham in their <laughs> Cubano and they start charging $19 for the sandwich, people are going to be like, why? Why? I don't care. I just wanted, you know, a quick ham and cheese, yeah. right? So you you have to you have to know the audience and know the demographic because there are plenty of people who are out there who want that experience, want the high quality ingredients, and are more than willing to pay for it. You have to know: Are you going after those people, or are you going after more, you know, the masses who couldn't care less and certainly don't want to pay for it, and they'll vote with their dollars for sure. Before I let you go, I, I know that you and your, your lovely wife, Quinn, like to dine out at restaurants around town. I just, just was wondering sort of where have you been recently? What's impressed you? Yeah. So, you know, we had the opportunity uh, a couple weeks ago. We went to One Fifth. Um, we had kind of a, a family birthday celebration of various things and um, had the opportunity to go there on a Saturday night when they were just killing it and uh place was packed and we had a a really really good experience um it was it was very impressive the food was very good um and i I was mentioning to to chris a little bit earlier uh, off air i was more impressed really with the operations of the place it was packed people were running around but literally this the service everything was on point 
The kitchen got the food out. Great timing, great pacing. I mean, really, the food was was good, but I walked away from it even more impressed with just the operational ability. And that's what I tell people about. And just kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, that's why I'm going to recommend a place because I had such a great overall service experience. The food is part of that, but the service experience was really, really good. And, and, and that's emblematic of what you can do to really create fans. Right. And certainly, you know, there's a lot of places to get a steak. I mean, even a, a really good prime steak from a named farm, but it really is those touches that make the experience memorable that'll keep people coming back. So my one other question for you about that place is, as an operator, how nervous does it make you that they're going to tear the whole thing down July 31st and reopen as something else a month later? Well, I mean, fortunately, I know they're not going to tear the whole thing down. I know they're going to do a bunch of stuff on the interior. Obviously, they have an advantage because the physical attributes of like the kitchen aren't going to change, right? Right, so right. I don't mean literally tear it down. I mean a whole new concept and a new menu. I, I think it's. I think it's very ambitious. I think if anybody you know can pull it off, it's it's those guys. Um, I will be very interested to see how it looks and feels, you know, after that and the next three iterations after that. Um, I think it's. I think it's wonderfully ambitious, and I think it's going to be a really, really interesting case study and what you can and can't do with a physical space and how it all works. All right, Jonathan, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before you go, why don't you tell us what your various social media handles are and how our listeners can keep track of everything going on at oh, Legacy man. Restaurants. You know, uh, ninfas.com or uh, at ninfas, the original ninfas, and Antone's Houston. I mean, any of those places, we're on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, and anybody's welcome to touch base with me on Facebook. I'm always willing to strike up a conversation. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you can follow Chris Frankel on Twitter at CS Frankel. And on Instagram, too? Yes? It's uh, Instagram, Chris.Frankel. Chris.Frankel on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter, at E. Sandler. Follow me on Instagram, at Eric Sandler. And, of course, keep it locked on Culture Map for all the latest news and happenings in the world of Houston restaurants. Thanks so much for listening.